0: welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we're going to dive deep into some really powerful effective strategies to improve your mitochondria, which are of course the powerhouses of your cells and generates most, the vast majority of the energy that your cells produce for energy. So today we have an expert, Dr. Francisco Gonzalez-Lima, who is a really uh, explored very deeply. And one of the prominent researchers in the uh, aspect that I've become intrigued with recently, which is methylene blue, and we're going to discuss that. And he's at the University of Texas at Austin. So uh, welcome, and thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: So, Would you like to give any brief background of maybe how how you started in your interest in mitochondria and maybe have focused a good portion of your research on methylene blue?
1: Yes. Uh, my major interest is uh, in mitochondria and, in particular, mitochondrial respiration and how we can take advantage of that uh, to improve brain energy metabolism. And by doing that, and uh, improve things like uh, cognitive performance through cognitive enhancement, prevention of cognitive decline. And also importantly, as a neuroprotective strategy, where we can prevent uh, neurodegeneration. And in fact, with methyl and blue, uh, we have been able to show all of those, uh, uh, starting out with uh, in vitro studies, uh, studies uh, with uh, brain homogenates, then studies uh, with animals, and studies uh, with humans. Our uh, group was the first one to map the effects of uh, methylene blue uh, in the brain of uh, humans and show its effects on uh, improving uh, brain metabolism cerebral blood flow and memory function.
0: So I'm sure most people watching this have heard of the term methylene blue before most likely as a result of its use wide wide use in uh, fish tanks as an antiseptic for fish tanks so uh but it's been a drug it's actually was the first drug in in modern history uh first developed in 1980 in 1918 76 1876 a long time ago and it started to be used as uh as when it was discovered but it's a dye it's it's actually a textile dye for blue jeans i believe <laughs> and uh but then it was found that it had all these other really important medicinal benefits yeah <laughs> So perhaps you can go into a little bit of the history of methylene blue and diverge as to
1: what's happening. Yeah, you you are entirely right. Uh, This is, uh, uh, it was the first synthetic uh, chemical in the history of medicine uh, used as a medication. Uh, Not any other one before uh, was used for that purpose. And of course, during the industrial revolution in the 1800s, the chemists uh, were very busy developing uh, new dyes for the textile industry, which was the one who led the industrial revolution. And uh, Methyl and Blue uh, was one of the ones that he was, one of the ones that was first discovered. And the major concern in terms of medical applications at the time, was the problem with malaria. And uh, Paul Ehrlich, a scientist that was uh, very much interested in this in in Berlin at the uh, famous uh, Charite uh, Hospital, then he started using uh, methylene blue because uh, he was intrigued by the fact that uh, the dye also stained the tissues. And in the process of doing that, he decided to test it uh, for the malaria parasite. And uh, it was interesting because he found two major properties of methylene Blue. One, if he injected uh, in vivo to an animal, methylene Blue would travel through the body, but it will focus on nervous tissue. It will concentrate on nervous tissue and then you could see the nervous tissue become blue, like the background that I have here. Uh, for our blue planet. And the other thing that he was able to find out was when injected to the malaria parasite, it inhibited a particular enzyme in the parasite or it made it weaker. So it it became the first uh, treatment for malaria. And all of the first uh, synthetic medications in the history of medicine and pharmacology were derivatives of methylene blue as a parent compound. And one of the interesting ones was, uh, for example, chlorpromazine, the first antipsychotic medication. And the reason for this uh, was that methylene blue, when it was first uh, synthesized, the techniques uh, were not uh, very well uh, defined and sometimes you have mixtures of methylene blue and other derivatives. And these uh, mixtures uh, were then tried in humans, and one of the uh, uh, effects that they found that the mixtures uh, had uh, antipsychotic and uh, later on found also antidepressant uh, properties. And then they, they tried to determine uh, which components of the mixtures were the ones that were producing these uh, medicinal effects and that's how uh the first uh, our first uh psychopharmaceutical uh drug uh, was developed and it took many years but uh and uh, there were all kinds of other drugs uh including uh antibiotics uh a number of antiseptic compounds and uh till this day uh people don't know but uh, methylene blue is a uh, a component of uh, many things that we don't see. For example, in the blood that is used for transfer transfusions, uh, they uh, have very small amounts of uh, methylene blue that is used uh, for its antiviral properties to kill like the uh, the primary uh, interest was to kill the HIV virus, uh, prevent that from being transfused from one individual to another, but the same hepatitis virus. So, a lot of the uh, compounds that were derived are still in use uh, nowadays. Uh, mm-hmm. It is available. Methylene blue, the parent compound, is available in every hospital in the world. Is the only compound that is known as an antidote for metabolic poisons. Any poison that interferes uh, with uh, oxygen transport or displaces oxygen either from the blood or from the mitochondria where the oxygen is used in the body for energy production. The only antidote available is uh, methylene blue. So if you, for example, get poisoned with uh, carbon monoxide in an emergency room in a hospital, the only thing they can do is uh, inject uh, methylene blue, uh, in this case, uh, quickly through the circulation. But it is the same. For example, the most classic poison is uh, cyanide. The only antidote uh, for cyanide is uh, methylene glue. So it's been saving lives uh, for <laughs> 150 years uh, and uh, all over the world. And it's considered by the World Health Organization as uh, one of the uh, required uh, medications to have in any hospital. However, The other uh, side of the coin, using low dose of methylene blue for longer term, non-acute purposes, like in the case of uh, poisoning, has been uh, not uh, used very commonly. And this is where my research enters, uh, where we determine not only can we do this acute uh, benefit for uh, energy metabolism, and oxygen utilization, but uh, that happen acutely in response to a poisoning, but well, we can do that also with all kinds of uh, injuries uh, to the brain that are uh, more chronic. So that's the basis. And I can tell you later on what is the unique property that makes me blue uh, Able to do this, that all you know, the compounds so far being able to
0: find. Well, well, we'll step into the mechanism in a moment, but I just want to dial back a bit to the earlier uses, and you you cited one with Dr. Ehrlich, and he published his paper for treatment of malaria in 1891. 1891, and it probably was the first synthetic drug to treat malaria, as far as we know, right? Oh, yes. So, and it still is effective. The problem is, it's gone out of favor. And it's interesting, and I wanted to comment on this because it's also, methylene blue is also the parent compound of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, which is also another antiparasite infection. And interesting, uh, it's not related at all to ivermectin, but it's interesting that the ivermectin is also an antiparasitic medication. Mm-hmm. And there have been a number of clinicians who have strongly suggested the use of methylene blue to treat acute infections like SARS-CoV-2. So maybe you can comment on on that component.
1: Sure, Uh, the the comment here uh, will be a little more uh, speculative, but uh, there's definitely uh, animal work uh, showing, for example, with uh, uh, pulmonary uh, infections That produce damage to the lungs, uh, very much in the same way that uh, the uh, uh, our uh, current uh, COVID-19 virus works. Uh, And in those uh, animal models, uh, it is possible to see a benefit uh, through uh, methylene blue. And the uh, other models are uh, induce uh, trauma to the the walls and uh, of the lungs, uh, where there is the exchange of gases. And in those models, uh, the same uh, benefit uh, can be seen. Uh, animals can be rescued from, from dying, and you can improve and eliminate uh, the degeneration that follows uh, from uh, the damage to the tissues. So, methylene blue, uh, because of its uh, mode of action, is so. Uh, fundamental, it has very uh, many general
0: uh, uses, and the uses are definitely uh, also dose-dependent. Now there's this biphasic dose response, and I definitely want to dive deep into that because it's really important to understand the dose. And, uh, and then also, of course, the quality of the, of the, cost of the product that is being used. These yeah. are some really important uh, characteristics to know there because of contaminants. So. Um, But why don't we dive over or transition over to the uh, mechanism as to why methylene blue works? It's just, it really isn't intuitively obvious, but it's extraordinary the capacity that this molecule has to improve human health. Yes, uh, I would say the
1: the major, uh, it works in a number of ways, uh, but uh, the major important and unique uh, feature Is uh, the level of uh, electrons. Uh, Our body uh, uses uh, electrons as part of the so-called electron transport chain that happens inside mitochondria. And uh, these electrons are moved along uh, through the mitochondria are generated uh, from so-called electron donors that we produce by the foods that we eat all the foods that we eat the only way they contribute to energy is by producing uh, electron donors but then donate these electrons to the electron transport inside mitochondria and the ultimate electron sector in nature is oxygen that's why the process of removing electrons from the compounds referred to as oxidation well the trick in mitochondria is that that process uh, is called oxidative phosphorylation when the electron transport is coupled with the phosphorylation of adenosine and to produce eventually a triphosphate, uh, the adenosine triphosphate molecule or ATP. So the way the methylene blue inserts itself in this process is the methylene blue is an electron cycle Cycler is an auto-oxidizing compound, so methylene blue donates its electrons directly to the electron transport, and it obtains electrons from surrounding compounds uh, and maintains then oxygen consumption and energy production. And by doing this, uh, it helps uh, oxygen to be fully reduced into water. So it becomes uh, uh, two things that are often not found together. It acts as an antioxidant, because uh, oxygen is neutralized uh, into water by helping donating electrons to the electron transport. And it produces energy, because uh, when the electron transport pumps uh, are moving along oxidative phosphorylation you have an increase in uh, ATP formation. So methylene blue, oftentimes uh, we have things that improve energy metabolism, but then they lead to oxidative stress. In the case of methylene blue, that's not the case. You can increase uh, oxygen consumption rates can increase uh, ATP production for energy metabolism and at the same time uh, reduce uh, oxidative stress, which, of course, Will lead to a uh, reduction in oxidative damage at the level of mitochondria, then at the level of the other parts of the cells and eventually the membranes of the cells and uh, so called reactions that are cascades are due to this uh, oxidative damage. So, methylene blue as an electron cycler is like a little battery. And uh, the miracle of it uh, that led. Uh, Paul Ehrlich, to coin the term uh, magic bullet, so I should say the magic of it uh, is that at low concentrations, uh, methylene blue, reaches an equilibrium between oxidized and reduced that preserves these uh, cyclings of electrons, and this is what other compounds uh, do not do, at least compounds that are not harmful uh, for the organism in other ways. And once uh, this is established, if there is anything that is interfering with uh, electron transport oxidative phosphorylation, like, like for example, the cyanide poison uh, interfering with one of these uh, mitochondrial complexes, methylene blue bypasses that uh, point of uh, interference through the electron uh, cycling and uh, mitochondrial respiration. Oxygen consumption, energy production can proceed then uh, because of this uh, bypass, and therefore, for example, if you have a situation where any kind of uh, environmental poison is affecting uh, this process of uh, cellular respiration, methylene blue uh, has a potential effect. If you have a process where you have an interference with uh, oxygen supply, it's called Hypoxic condition, like I gave the example of a carbon monoxide or other compound, or just the lowering of the amount of oxygen available, uh, it will also facilitate this uh, process. Uh, if you have a blood flow that is impaired, so you cannot get oxygenated uh, hemoglobin uh, to the uh, tissues, methylene blue can also be helpful because it uh, optimizes the efficiency of the mitochondrial respiration. So even if there is uh, less oxygen available or because of due to uh, oxyhemoglobin not being delivered to the same degree to the tissue, and we have shown this uh, experimentally, uh, we can uh, uh, ligate uh, blood supplies that go to the brain in animals, reduce the blood supply similar to what happens uh, to us uh, when we grow older and this uh, chronic hypoperfusion, And uh, we can see the beginning of uh, memory problems uh, in the animals. The degeneration that happens in parts of the brain that are more susceptible to this uh, loss of uh, blood supply. And when blue is on board, uh, we prevent both of these. We prevent the uh, memory disturbances and uh, the neurodegenerative changes uh, in animal models. Uh, so it it is uh, not sure of a magic bullet, and uh, I think probably there is no other magic bullet out there who really is uh, a magic
0: bullet uh, in the same uh, sense as methylene blue is. Okay, well, thank you for that. Let me see if I can summarize that, and then you can correct me. And I want to integrate a question into this also. So. Um... Many people may not realize with the depth of the mitochondrial functioning that there's four, there's five cytochromes, but four essentially, one through four. And uh, the primary purpose is to conduct the electrons generated from the food, primarily in carbohydrates and fat, and pass these proteins along. But sometimes these the electron transport chain gets blocked uh essentially blocked uh, or impaired in some way. And that's where this magic bullet works out. And it works on not just any of these, but it works on all of the cytochromes. So, uh, but typically um, the most important one, this is where I'm a bit confused because I know it can work on cytochrome four, which is cytochrome C oxidase, Mm -hmm. but which which I think is blocked, that's what's blocked with cyanide. Correct. Uh, but uh, there's rotenone that can block cytochrome one, and uh, it's met- methylene blue seems to work there. But I'm wondering, in in excluding these pathologic conditions where there's this impairment due to some 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 challenge metabolic challenge, in normal conditions, where is is methylene blue working primarily at cytochrome four, cytochrome c oxidase?
1: Yeah, uh, well. Uh... Cytochrome uh, oxidase, also called cytochrome C oxidase, or uh, cytochrome AA3 uh, complex uh, is the last of the enzymatic complexes uh, in this uh, mitochondrial uh, electron transport chain, and is the one that catalyzes the reaction of uh, oxygen becoming water. So over 95% of the oxygen that we breathe is in that single reaction of oxygen to water catalyzed by cytochrome oxidase. And uh, so because it's a rate limiting enzyme, anything that you do along the uh, electron transport chain uh, will lead to uh, upregulation of cytochrome oxidase activity. But uh, methylene blue can insert the electrons at different levels, uh, wherever there is a blockade, and it can insert it at the level of the cytogram oxidase, and that is uh, most uh, useful. Like I say, if you have something that is interfering with the site uh, where the electrons uh, are received. There is a little uh, molecule called cytochrome C, and that's the electron carrier that gives it to the enzyme cytochrome C oxidase. But uh, it can work. There. One of the surprising things to us was biochemists uh, thought that uh, this effect of methylene blue will only be manifest if you interfere, like you were indicated, some, some way interfere with the mitochondrial respiration. However, we found in normal animals, healthy, young uh, animals uh, that if methylene blue in low doses uh, was present, you could enhance above the baseline levels of these animals. You could enhance oxygen consumption, mitochondrial respiration, ATP production, and in tests of uh, learning and memory, you could enhance those tests of learning and memory uh, as compared to other healthy animals. So it can optimize or augment the efficiency of the process. Because every time that we consume oxygen, uh, not all of the oxygen is fully reduced to water under normal physiological condition. And the more demand that we have for oxygen, the the more of this uh, not fully reduced oxygen, which is called superoxide, is formed. So, under normal conditions, uh, like especially for example, we're doing aerobic exercise, we increase uh, the levels of uh, uh, oxidative stress uh, by acting on uh, not being able to fully reduce. In other words, there's uh, cytochrome oxidase cannot keep up uh, with the rate. So, if methylene blue is present there, uh, you can facilitate that there is a full uh, reduction. Uh, oxygen to water under normal physiological condition. so it is in that sense a metabolic enhancer, not just an antidote uh, for metabolic uh, poisons or uh, inhibitory processes.
0: Well, it's good, even if you're healthy, it can help you make you even healthier. So, uh, which is really exciting, and we'll, we'll dive into that. I wanted to also ask you a question on its role as an antioxidant, which you addressed because of its its uh, ability to participate in the redox reactions. I was, But I was reading in an, uh, an article today on methylene blue that, and I was pleasantly surprised to find this out, but it also seems to activate the NRF2 pathway and, and mm-hmm. stimulate transcription factors for the anti-response element genes, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is magnificent because that's the best way to generate these anti- antioxidant molecules, is to only generate them when you need them. So I'm wondering if you can comment on that. Yes, uh, yes uh, I can
1: dive and I can show you uh, a, a slide uh, for a moment. Uh, it's It looks a little complicated, so I'll go uh, quickly uh, over it. Uh, so uh, what I'm showing here are caricatures of uh, synaxis. Uh, for example, where I'm, I'm moving my cursor here in A, these are the so-called presynaptic end, uh, and below that is the postsynaptic end. For example, between two neurons, and the green uh, particles that are shown here uh, represent the mitochondria. These are the ones that are responsible for this process that we talk about of uh, oxygen consumption. And what is interesting is that uh, in in the body their processes are coupled. For example, when the nervous system is active, you have so-called excitatory neurotransmitters that are going from one end to the other end. And this is an example of uh, one of them, uh, uh, glutamate. So in, normally, they then occupies receptors on the other side that is on the post-inactive membrane. So whenever there is an increase in activity, there is an increase uh, in glutamate release, there's more energy that is necessary to be coupled with that process. And uh, that's when if methylene blue is present, then uh, you can facilitate, for example, here excitatory neurotransmission. And this is a little close up of what's happening on the other end uh, with the mitochondria you see the uh, these uh, little green uh, pro- uh, particles here are these electrons uh, jumping through the electron transport chain, and showing how methylene blue is also acting. For example, here in our number four, the complex uh, cytochrome oxidase. But in the process of facilitating this, uh, methylene blue acts on the, for example, the nuclear respiratory factor one. That is the one uh, factor that is triggered when we don't have enough oxygen uh, so that we can uh, facilitate the whole process, uh, make it more efficient. And one of the things that happened is that you synthesize more of these enzymes, the enzyme that uh, catalyzes the oxygen, but uh, you also, for example, upregulate other enzymes like uh, nitric oxide synthetases which there are a number of them, and these other enzymes uh, release nitric oxide, that is a gas uh, that very quickly dissipates, and the small capillaries then dilate, and more blood can get to the tissue where there is a, a, a decreasing in levels of oxygen. So the process of uh, methylene blue acting on mitochondrial respiration is coupled then with processes that we, we refer to as of uh, regulation biochemical regulation of our oxygen consumption machinery and hemodynamic uh, process to provide more blood supply locally to the tissue and also nuclear uh,
0: factors that happen that in turn
1: uh, lead the DNA to engage in protein synthesis to upregulate regulate all of these mechanisms for a longer time. So, for example, if you're exposed to uh, more excitatory activity, especially in the presence of methylene blue, the next day, uh, those systems are upregulated uh, so that you can more efficiently uh, meet the challenge of having to produce more energy. This is basically the same process that happens physiologically in response to aerobic exercise. It's just that here, we're not just consuming our uh, electron donors that came from food, like you say, carbohydrates or uh, lipids, but we are also adding uh, a compound that is uh, enhancing that uh, entire process that we naturally use for uh, energy production. And 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 these effects, uh, just like exercise, can then last uh, for days. And not just are there is an acute response to the presence of the drug being there. Once it does this, the drug can go out of the system, methylene blue, uh, primarily through a urination, you urinate. Uh, however, these benefits have uh, remained behind. And, and this is what the last uh, uh, show here, that uh, you may start out uh, uh, with uh, a particular number of mitochondria, but uh, eventually, you increase not only the amount of uh, these uh, mitochondrial enzymes, but uh, you can actually increase the amount of uh, mitochondria uh, available across process Synax, which will facilitate the entire process of uh, neurotransmission.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks. And, and that's just, to, that's just an illustration. That's not the number of mitochondria in the neuron, because that typically can be many hundreds, if not thousands of mitochondria right. per neuron, which is really mitochondrially dense. So uh, well, well, while we're on the, um, the issue of the, the, the hormonal mechanisms, I also was reading that uh, one of my favorite therapies is uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy and along with exercise. And both of those are noted for improving HIF1 alpha, hypoxic-inducible factor. And it appears, and I was really surprised to hear this too, is that methylene blue stabilizes HIF1 alpha. So are you familiar with that mechanism? Well uh
1: we thought that methylene blue uh, combined with uh, hyperbaric oxygen could uh, be beneficial, but uh, our experiments show that that wasn't the case. Uh,
0: really?
1: Oh, uh, is, uh, the, the, part of the problem is that they're sharing similar uh, mechanisms. So by adding these, you are essentially like increasing the dose uh, of, of the same phenomenon. Now, methyl and methylene blue is a uh, hormetic. Drug that is uh, a low doses, it has opposite effects to high doses. Uh, to give you an example, methylene blue is primarily used nowadays in, in uh, hospitals, in emergency rooms for uh, a phenomenon called uh, methemoglobinemia, which is when the, one of these uh, metabolic poisons interferes with the uh, transport of uh, oxygen in uh, hemoglobin. And uh, methylene blue uh, then uh, can be used uh, as an antidote for methemoglobinemia. However, if you increase the dose of methylene blue, you produce uh, methemoglobinemia. So the same drugs, or in in a way, it is inaccurate to say methylene blue does this or that without uh, specifying what the uh, dose is. If you're talking about low doses or high doses, and uh, between. The low doses and high doses. There is an intermediate dose that is not effective, uh, and it doesn't
0: produce anything uh, beneficial. Well, we're, def- we're definitely going to talk about the doses. But for those who haven't heard of methemoglobinemia or methemoglobin, all that is is simply you've got iron in the middle of your um, red blood cell hemoglobin, and that's responsible for transport for binding the oxygen. And it to bind it, it has to be reduced plus two. But if it's oxidized to plus three, that's methemoglobin, and there's a lot of things that would cause it. There's genetic uh, SNPs that would be contributing to it, but there's but there's also environmental exposures like nitrites that can contribute to that. So it's a bad problem, and it could kill you. And methemoglobin, methylene blue is actually an antidote for it. Yes, and
1: uh, and not only acutely, like uh, most uh, physicians are aware of uh, in the emergency room. But uh, individuals who have a chronic uh, defects uh, in uh, their hemoglobin, uh, they uh, suffer for chronically their entire life for uh, with uh, methemoglobinemia, and they are treated uh, with uh, lifelong uh, methylene blue, and they can live uh, basically normal life uh, by antagonizing this uh, process. Um, methylene blue uh, will have because of its affinity with oxygen uh, in terms of donating the electrons to oxygen then it sort of displaces uh, the other compounds uh, and uh, by the way that that um, you can think of uh, hemoglobin as being like a a picture in terms of oxygen it carries the oxygen attached to that iron. Uh, The iron is part of a molecule called the the heme uh, molecule, like a pocket that has an iron center that attracts the oxygen. Uh, But then the catcher of that, that's how it's transported through the circulation. But then the one that catches that oxygen is another heme molecule that has the same uh, center with the iron, and that's cytochrome oxidase. The enzyme that uh, then receives the oxygen that would be the catcher receives the oxygen, and then that enzyme uses uh, other, uh, so called, hydrogens or ionized or protons uh, to turn that oxygen or reduce that oxygen in, into water, and so that is uh, how. There is an interplay then with the transport of oxygen and the use of oxygen for energy production. And the two uh, heme molecules are the, the key to these. And that's why methylene blue can be beneficial for both processes because it can donate its electron to both of these uh, heme molecules. Uh, in the case of uh, cytochrome oxidase, it is more specialized for electron transport. Uh, then hemoglobin. Uh, so, in addition to that, in uh, iron, uh, it has all the copper centers. As everybody knows, uh, copper is a metal that uh, facilitates uh, electron uh, uh, movement. So, nature uses the same uh, basic uh, fundamentals of
0: physics to carry out this process. Yes, copper is key, no question. I've got a been really in waiting to ask a, a really good mitochondrial biologist this question, because you just described the transfer that occurs from the oxygen and the hemoglobin to the oxygen in cytochrome four or the heme and oxygen and in, in cytochrome four. How does that transfer occur? I mean, the hemoglobin is in the serum, in the plasma, right? Right. And that's outside the cell, and certainly outside the mitochondria. So, is there? It's a, is it an active transport? Is it passively transport? Is you know how does that oxygen get from outside the cell into the mitochondria?
1: Yes, yes. It's uh, uh, oxygen uh, um, is uh, one of those uh, chemical elements that can freely diffuse uh, through cells, in particular in the case of the brain. We have the so-called, you know, blood-brain barrier mm-hmm. that limits the uh, passage of other uh, substances uh, through these uh, glial cells are called the astroglia or astrocytes, and uh, however, oxygen can uh, diffuse uh, and uh, water has, has uh, needs its own uh, transport system, the aquaporin uh, system. and uh, but uh, oxygen, no oxygen can. Uh, so it's just through. passive
0: diffusion straight through.
1: Yes, uh, and uh, how, however, uh, there are all the gases there, like I mentioned, uh, nitric oxide, uh, that is very similar to to oxygen. You know, nitric oxide is uh, an atom of nitrogen and one of uh, oxygen, and the oxygen molecule is two. Uh, oxygens, you know, O2, so they occupy in the same pocket uh, where this uh, uh, in iron is, and so when uh, nitric oxide is released uh, inside the mitochondria, it actually inhibits the ability of cytochrome oxidase uh, to catalyze uh, oxygen into water, but the, the the process is done in couple with the vasodilation. So what you're doing essentially is you're stopping the, uh, when there is very low oxygen level at, at a tissue uh, level locally, you do not consume all of that. Uh, you slow down the rate of the enzyme and by bisotylation, bring more oxygenated uh, hemoglobin, and then the, the enzyme switches from these uh, two roles. When there are high oxygen levels in the tissue, it then becomes the enzyme that catalyzes oxygen consumption. And when the oxygen levels go down, it catalyzes, become a nitric oxide synthase. It catalyzes the formation of a NO, Uh, from nitrates and this uh, cycle is happening all the time as we uh, especially in the brain that we have uh, a local increase uh, in uh, oxygenated blood uh, coupled with the activity in the brain because the brain really doesn't store energy to any significant amount like all the tissues so it's like you needed to have a plug-in to an energy source in order to work so there is a very tight coupling then uh, between the activity in the brain that uses energy and the blood uh, supply locally to where that activity uh, is needed so this is uh, how the process happens is a a constant uh, interaction between the oxygen consumption in mitochondria and the hemodynamic response and uh mediated through these primarily these two gases that I mentioned, oxygen and NO. And uh, so the, the magical thing about this process is that they try to, they compete with each other, but they compete with each other so that uh, there's never uh, a time where you have no oxygen left uh, to be used. And the discovery of uh, cytochrome oxidase, uh, having this uh, also, this role as an oxide synthase is uh, relatively recent. uh, And many uh, people are not familiar with this uh, phenomenon. And that's why you can continue to produce this uh, effect uh, even when oxygen levels go down, you can continue to bring more uh,
0: oxygenation. Okay. Well, let's bring it back to methylene blue. Uh, you okay. mentioned this, this blood-brain barrier. Many people have heard of that, that really protects our brain and, and selectively uh, protects, uh, uh, does not allow certain materials to get into the brain. But methylene blue is not one of them. It really diffuses past the blood-brain barrier. So that's good. So, you know, it's yeah. it's yeah. neurologic. Neurologic Mm -hmm. impacts can, which you're going to go into much more detail in a bit, Mm -hmm. can be freely done. But I think we, you had mentioned the biphasic dose, uh, the the low dose versus the high dose and an intermediate dose. So Mm -hmm. I think we, if it would be a good time to talk about dosing now, because there's there's quite a big difference. And then, and you're really good at explaining this. So, you know, especially when we get down to the milligrams per kilogram Mm -hmm. perspective. I mean, I know you have to initially talk about the millimoles. But mm-hmm. but we'll eventually get to the milligrams.
1: Correct. Yes. Uh I, I, you know, for practical purposes, uh one has to refer to uh the for example, milligrams per kilogram of body weight, uh, as you know. And uh the in our experimental work, uh we haven't tested every possible do- uh, uh, dose response uh and uh one of the reasons is that after you reach certain levels of the drug, uh, you know the animals get sick and, and die, so uh, we, we just don't go on uh, beyond that. but uh, it also in the low range, so in our hands, uh, in every preparation that we have tried, and it's the same in vitro when you convert, convert it to uh, molar amounts, uh, we're dealing with something equivalent to half a milligram per kilogram of body weight uh, to about four milligrams per kilogram of body weight. And we use it in different ways. For example, if we only want to give a single dose for an intervention that is more acute, uh, then we go all the way to uh, three to four milligrams uh, per kilogram which is usually uh, between the range that is given for the methemoglobinemia, uh, Mm -hmm. the antidote. uh, But we uh, humans can do this uh, orally uh, by taking it, uh, swallowing the methylene blue. The absorption is uh, slower. You minimize any risk of uh, having a larger concentration of this in your blood. And uh, as opposed to when you inject it, like in the emergency room, uh, intravenously. So, but when it's a chronic situation, like animals uh, that have uh, the lower uh, blood flow to the brain by our intervention, uh, animals are exposed to a toxin a neurotoxin or mitochondrial toxin chronically then the low doses are uh, better because uh, you can give them uh, every day and uh half a milligram per kilogram or 1 milligram per kilogram uh, that range uh, works really well uh, in these experimental situations and in humans uh, we have done uh tests uh, with these uh, for example in uh one of our uh, first studies uh, was uh, when because when you improve uh, energy metabolism you facilitate uh, memory processing and we've seen that in the animals even in healthy uh, people one of the uh, processes in which uh, memory formation can be used therapeutically is when you form a memory to extinguish fear like in individuals who have a phobia Uh, you can uh, expose them to the specific situation that is evoking the phobia. And there is a learning called extinction learning that happens that you extinguish your response. Uh, So in that situation, we only give uh, methylene blue once after this uh, uh, extinction learning to facilitate the process of memory consolidation. What happens after you go through the learning it's a process of consolidation that you also requires energy. So by facilitating the, the energy availability during the consolidation phase, it happens through a number of hours. Then the next time, the next day that you do testing with first the existing animals, the animals then show less fear to the fear evoking a stimuli. They have learned that extinction memory and consolidated that uh, now more effectively. And the same thing happening in individuals with anxiety disorders that are uh, treated in this way. And uh, we've done this also with uh, PTSD, a post-traumatic stress disorder, where you do use a uh, prolonged exposure therapy. And uh, in that situation, then you can give the methylene blue after uh, different sessions. sessions where you see that there's a uh, good uh, extinction learning. In other words, where people are learning through exposure to reduce their fear level, then you want to reinforce that therapeutic uh, learning by giving them the methylene rule right after uh, the session, and the and the practitioner can decide whether that was a good session or not that he wants to reinforce by facilitating the memory consolidation. So it is. Uh, applicable in this way so that the the effective dose range, even though it's low, uh, there is enough of a range that you can uh, just simply use uh, one or a few treatments or use very low dose levels. And uh, if you use it uh, every day, uh, the half-life of an orally taking methylene Blue is about 12, to 13 hours, or you can say uh, 12 and a half, uh, the half-life, meaning the time where half of the ingested drug uh, leaves the body. And it primarily leaves the body through the urine in a fairly unchanged form. In other words, uh, the parent compound, the methylene blue, is coming out through the urine. as the hours go by after you take uh, methylene blue, it starts to become stored in your bladder. And by the way, from a medical point of view, before the antibiotics were used for urinary tract infections, like an infection in your bladder, uh, methylene blue was used in uh, higher uh, doses than I' what I'm telling you uh, now so that uh, the methylene blue uh, then uh, increases concentration inside the the bladder, and it had that antiseptic effect. And and I can tell you that that was much more effective than the antibiotics, for example, that are used with elderly, especially elderly women who suffer from uh, repeated chronic uh, urinary tract infections. That they have to go through a round of antibiotics every time. Uh, however, very few, if any, uh, physicians uh, use methylene blue in this way. And in that case, uh, the dose... Uh, usually, in the U.S., there, there, there was a medication available in pills that were of uh, 65 uh, milligrams uh, each. And uh, so you will take the two to three of these uh, pills uh, daily uh, in uh, for urinary tract infections. And I have witnessed this. Uh, we haven't published a result of it, but uh, this was something that was available and marketed. However, at some point, uh, the use of antibiotics became so uh, preferential choice that all of these uh, Applications uh, were, were lost, and uh, I can see that. I mean, older people with uh, recurrent urinary tract infection going through rounds of antibiotics, uh, you know, every month uh, is not a beneficial. But if they have methylene blue on board, even with the low amounts that we use for cognitive enhancement. It concentrates in a large enough way in the bladder to uh, prevent also the urinary tract infections.
0: And it's it's interesting because it's that's it's 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 functioning in a way that is uh, much different than it does in the in the in the mitochondria because it's a much higher dose and it's actually a very potent oxidant mm-hmm. and kills the bacteria. But it seems it seems foolish that this is not used more more. Uh, commonly, because especially the elderly, because it's so useful in in cognitive components and in addressing dementia, which you're going to talk about in a bit. I mean, there's there's a lot of trials going on using methylene blue to help alleviate or even prevent dementia. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you get a 2 far when you use it for for urinary tract infections in the elderly. So,
1: yeah, that that's uh, true. Uh, it is the case that uh, in this case, you're taking advantage of that facing dose response. Mm-hmm by having the low levels uh, being circulating in your blood, acting in in the nervous tissue, which it concentrates on. But uh, when uh, you're excreting it, uh, it starts building up in your bladder, and then you have the other biphasic effect that it becomes uh, a pro-oxidant. And that's how how it kills the bacteria, uh, by becoming a pro-oxidant and producing oxidative damage uh, in the bacteria, and, and by the way, that uh, other higher concentration uh, used for killing bacteria is used uh, on the on the skin. Uh, you can uh, because there is a property that uh, methylene blue. The reason that is blue is that it absorbs photons uh, in the uh, red and infrared uh, wavelengths, and it reflects on the on the blue uh, wavelengths and so you can inject it uh, subcutaneously on the skin where you have a, a tumor, uh, for mm-hmm. example, a melanoma, uh, you can inject it there, and then you can provide a light source. And the photons uh, become as if they were electrons. In other words, they are accepted by methylene blue, the electron cycle: a photon is the same energy as an electron. The difference is that the electron has a very small mass, but the photon doesn't have any mass. And uh, what it produces is called a photodynamic effect. It uh, affects these uh, photons, and then it throws away its uh, uh, electrons, uh, and it produces then an an pro-oxidation process that kills the tumor cells. Locally, mm. and uh, this is uh, used uh, more uh, more uh, nowadays in uh, photodynamic therapy of, uh, in dermatology, and uh, this this property they generally refer to as a photosensitizer, mm. but it's again is the same mechanism, but uh, instead of light, uh, instead of uh, electrons from from a chemical, uh, you cycling, you are taking the photons and then passing them on uh, and producing this uh, photo oxidation to the, uh, to the tumor cells. So that is an example of the high uh, level concentration of methylene blue, killing cells for a beneficial uh, medicinal Wait,
0: What's the do- What's the dose or the concentration that you would use of methylene blue in that application?
1: Yes. In that application, uh, because it's a very local amount, uh, mm-hmm. so it is uh, w- it, it is uh, difficult to transform to milligrams per kilogram, but mm-hmm. uh, let's say it will be equivalent for 20 to 50 milligrams per kilogram uh, if you were to assume that it will uh, diffuse uh, throughout the organism. But uh, you only need as much as uh, to cover the area
0: because okay so maybe just you, a few milligrams that's it
1: yes as soon as you start doing the the light uh the methylene blue by itself wouldn't kill the cells uh but uh when you provide the photons then it cycles the 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 energy uh and as a pro-oxidant and right. produces well, wh-
0: this. what about combining the use of methylene blue just for normal vitality and health benefits in taking the dose of methylene blue prior to exposure to near-infrared radiation, either through the sun, uh, near-infrared light bulbs, or uh, LED photobiomodulation panels? Yes. uh, uh, I
1: haven't done the experiments on that. Uh, I have been working also on uh, Photomial modulation independently, uh, but usually in our studies, uh, we compare the two because they have like a common denominator by acting on mitochondrial respiration. And uh, in the case of the photons from uh, red to uh, near infrared uh, wavelengths, uh, the cytochrome oxidase inside the electron transport is the major intracellular photon, a sector in that uh, light range that we call it a window, uh, optical window in tissue, because those wavelengths can actually go through the tissues and penetrate uh, deeper, especially the near infrared ones. So we have not uh, combined them, but uh, in principle, uh, it is possible with the very low level um, methylene blue to enhance its effects uh, by uh, the photobiomodulation, or you can put this vice versa, (laughs) enhance the uh, effects of... uh, The problem with uh, photobiomodulation is uh, that because the tissue is absorbing the photons, uh, it may not penetrate uh, as deep. Mm -hmm. With methylene blue, you don't have that problem. Methylene blue is reaching all the tissues uh, that are rich in mitochondria is essentially a mitochondrial stain. <laughs> yes, uh, and uh, and and in the history of neuroscience, it was used uh, for that purpose. For example, when the Santiago Ramon y Cajal, the regarded as the founding father of uh, neuroscience, uh, discovered the, the dendritic spines, the little spines where the synapses are in the branches of neurons. Uh, he used silver impregnation techniques, uh, and his uh, rivals would say, no, that's an artifact, a staining artifact. So then he used the Ehrlich reaction, that is the injecting the animal alive. It only worked if the animals were alive when the methylene blue was on board. The methylene blue then will concentrate where there is this, uh, this uh, rapid oxygen consumption inside the mitochondria. And he was able then to see all of these little dots of blue dots uh, at the end of these branches of neurons and demonstrate that uh, it was not just an artifact of a particular stain. This was a real phenomenon that we have these uh, dendritic spines. So it's uh, being useful not only for uh, medicinal applications, but also to solve questions in uh, basic uh, uh, research. By by taking advantage of these properties, and I presume uh, the two can be combined. And uh, however, like I say, the the light is not going to get very far. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the methylene blue will be in deeper parts of the tissues in the body that will not there
0: will not be any significant amount of light uh, reaching there. Sure okay well thanks for that so with respect to the dosing again you mentioned that the lower end of the biphasic dosing schedule was a half a milligram per kilogram well for you know the average person of 70 kilogram male that's 35 milligrams which is uh still pretty much up there i'm wondering if it works at lower doses like a quarter of a milligram or even a tenth yeah. of a milligram so literally doses for the typical adult of you know 10 to 20 milligrams per day mm-hmm. yes uh uh, we haven't done that in
1: our experiments, uh, just simply because uh, we have to limit the range of doses that we have used. Uh, we go from 0.5 to to 100 uh, milligrams per kilogram in in our soils, and the uh, I presume there will be a benefit in the sense that there is always some kind of a accumulation of methylene blue mm-hmm. that happens if you do it daily chronically in other words if you do it from one day to the next uh they still you're going to still have uh, methylene blue on board and in in humans is very yeah, like other animals it's very easy to to know whether you have still methylene blue or how long it takes for you individually to metabolize it so you can personalize so if you take for example a dose of methylene blue you're going to see some discoloration of the urine your urine uh, if your urine is clear then the urine, the urine is going to look more bluish uh, if your urine is uh, more concentrated more yellowish uh, then uh, with the methylene blue it will look more more green greenish green so blue green discoloration depending on the uh, the level of, uh water that you have in your urine. And they—so if you give uh, it—so the best way to do it is uh, somebody can take a particular dose, uh, this low dose, and you can see for how how long does that person continue to uh, urinate uh, with discoloration. And that way, you know, well, there's still methylene blue on the system, uh, (laughs) at least until the last time that they had uh, done the discoloration. And you can try trade it in this way, but if you have them very small doses, uh, if you have very small doses, it means uh, that if you, and you take it daily, that you're going to be building up uh, methylene Blue to something that will be similar to uh,
0: close to this uh, half of a milligram per kilogram. So a 12 to 13 hour half-life, is that sufficient for once a day or do you recommend twice a day dosing?
1: No, it isn't good enough for once a day because uh, it it, it uh, you uh, you're still gonna have half of it uh, circulating, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, but in in most people, we are not as efficient uh, at eliminating it, uh, and so even though the, the these are the 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 best known uh, data that we have, those were done with. Uh, a dose of uh, 100 milligram orally in humans uh, by a German group. And uh, in most people, especially the elderly, uh, the rule is going to stay uh, longer uh, into the system. So it's better to, to use uh, this individualized approach of just giving them the dose and seeing how long does it take to So that creates a window where you know uh, you're gonna have methylene blue on board. And then you can decide uh, to lower the dose and then you can do it daily.
0: And we're gonna gonna jump into some of the exciting clinical applications. But before I do this, I wanted to finish up on the dosing. So obviously we've covered the the dosage range really well. Thank you for doing that. But the other major component of that is the source. So there's essentially three major types: industrial chemical, industrial chemical, and pharmaceutical grade. And I wondered if you can discuss those. And uh, importantly, any any recommendations on where to obtain pharmaceutical grade?
1: Yes, uh, this is so important because uh, people listening to us uh, may think you know we can go to the pet store and uh, get the methylene blue available there that we use for the fish. Uh, unfortunately, uh, because methylene blue has so many uses, you have this uh, industrial grade uh, methylene blue that has lots of impurities, and they can be as little as ten uh, percent, but as much as a quarter of the of the mix uh, can be uh, not uh, methylene blue. And unfortunately, many of the impurities are uh, heavy metals that shouldn't be consumed by by anyone. And there is also the so-called chemical grade, which is uh, have a higher purity, but uh, again, still is not uh, good to give it to to animals or humans. In fact, it is a problem because uh, many of the suppliers of methylene blue for animal research, what they send, sell, is the uh, chemical grade that is used for staining purposes in the laboratories. And uh, many researchers have done studies and published, uh, especially I'm concerned when they do chronic administration that these uh, contaminants are building up over time. So this may lead to conflicting results. Uh, Also, it may lead to uh, problems with the dose response because they're really not giving the, the pure Purest compound. So there is what is called the pharmaceutical grade that that's the one that for example, is injected uh, intravenously for uh, antidote purposes. And this one is uh, 99% uh, plus uh, purity, methylene blue, like I say, this uh, the source for this is available everywhere. Uh, but it's usually found in uh, sterile vials for uh, intravenous injection. They used to be uh, more supplied in the powder form, that is the one that can be made in pills. More uh, pharmacies uh, nowadays uh, do this uh, compounding so they can uh, get the uh, uh, pharmaceutical grade. The one in the US is called USP, United States Pharmacopoeia. it is better in purity than the European uh, uh, pharmaceutical grade that has uh, less requirements, which is uh, unusual. It's usually the other way around uh, in terms of pharmaceutical purity. So, and I uh, recommend uh, using, like in our studies, uh, we use uh, uh, ascorbic acid as the filler for, for the pills uh, when we give this to humans. Uh, uh, Orderly, uh, because the ascorbic acid uh, facilitates uh, the reduction of methylene blue. When methylene blue is in oxidized form, is blue, and when methylene blue is in reduced form, so-called leuco methylene blue, is transparent or white. Uh, if you uh, the word leuco is like size the white blood cell. So by doing that, uh, you have, uh, and we know that uh, before methylene blue can be uh, entered through the membrane of the cell, it's uh, first uh, reduced. That is, uh, their are electrons are added to it. He uh, he grabs them, becomes reduced, and that's how he crosses uh, the cell membranes. So by having in the stomach uh, when it dissolves. Uh, uh, and, and it's better to have a peel that will dissolve very quickly. You want to have gastric absorption. So, methylene blue is highly uh, bioavailable in that respect, but uh, it is better to do that. You don't want to have it in a peel that will go to the intestines, like in many compounds that you want a slow release from the intestine. That's not uh, a good thing for methylene blue. You want it to happen. Also, the chemical environment of the uh, stomach is more acid that uh, will be conducive to have more reduced uh, methylene blue uh, and uh, that will facilitate in terms uh, of its bioabsorption.
0: So these things we have to... When you consume methylene blue with the ascorbic acid, you said you put, when you uh, give it to consumers or your clients, Mm -hmm. uh, participants, trial participants, that you put put in a pill with ascorbic acid. So does that cause it to go to the reduced form for better absorption? Correct. Yes, that's what causes the. Uh, it facilitates that. Uh, if you
1: cannot have it that way, you can combine uh, having the individuals taking the uh, the methylene blue together uh, with uh, ascorbic acid. Uh If okay. you can okay. have it inside the pill as as the filler, and. Uh, that facilitates the bioabsorption, and uh, it's it also minimizes the uh, coloring of the uh, methylene blue uh, that is discolored your urine uh, when you are... Uh, if you consume a high level of uh, vitamin C, ascorbic acid, uh, or one of its other uh, forms, uh, uh, you also you minimize the uh, staining that happens uh, with the uh, so urine
0: that, that is interesting so if it because people who've worked with methyl boot i mean one of the one of the annoying side effects is that you stain your kitchen counter or your fingers so if you were to put a reducing agent on that, that would get rid of the stain. Could turn it to the, the
1: yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, it it would depend on the concentration, but it would definitely reduce that. Uh, it would make it more leuco methylene blue, and okay. uh, they they have to, what shouldn't be done is uh, to change the methylene blue from is this. Uh, Auto-oxidizing process where it changes from reduced to oxidized by changing it chemically, so it remains permanently on a reduced state. If you do that, you lose the ability of methylene blue to work as an electron cycler, uh, which unfortunately is what has been done in some of the people who uh, the group uh, in the United Kingdom who's been working with methylene blue. They don't use methylene blue anymore. They use a leuco methylene blue form. And uh, that limits the ability of methylene blue to cycle between reduced and oxidized forms, which will limit its ability to facilitate mitochondrial reduction, which in turn I predicted was going to limit their success uh, to use that uh, for the of patients, uh, like it happened in their studies. But the problem with that application, that group that have been applying methylene blue for Alzheimer's is that they have been focusing on an in vitro effect of high concentration, which will translate to high dose methylene blue that interferes with the aggregation of uh, the tau uh, proteins. And in fact, uh, they are promoting this as an anti-tau And ignoring all of these other things that uh, we talked about today. And of course, uh, because of that, then they try to maximize the dose because the more in 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 vitro conditions, the more methylene blue you have, the more you antagonize the uh, tau. uh, So aggregation and of course people cannot tolerate these higher doses uh, will produce the opposite effects. So then. What they have found is that their so-called control groups where they have very low levels Uh, of methylene blue actually had better (laughs) uh, uh, results in the the dementia studies than their uh, uh, um, high-dose methylene blue or leucomethylene blue where there's more tau aggregation inhibited, but that's really not what the methylene blue do, is doing to help uh, with the the memory situation. All right so
0: when you take it with the ascorbic acid to reduce it you're not limiting its long term ability to cycle back no. and forth between the uh
1: reduced correct correct that's good uh if, right, so. if, if you don't limit it at all and uh, okay. if they as long as they as you know ascorbic acid uh uh, most of it, uh, it will also be uh, excreted uh, through the urine, especially mm-hmm. if you take uh, mouse, you know, greater than one uh, gram uh, per kilogram uh, amount. Uh, so, yes, uh, it's a way to uh, facilitate uh, actually the cycling of methylene blue by okay, promoting yeah. its, uh, its reduction.
0: Well, let's uh, jump into the exciting part, which is what it can be used for, and th- this is beyond exciting, because it's just almost revolutionary. Uh, I, I think we can first start with the neurodegenerative components like dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's mm-hmm. disease, but then mm-hmm. also some of the, the neural injuries that we get, which I mean, there, it is so common to have strokes, especially c- post-COVID jab. I mean, the strokes now are epidemic in kids. So from from those and for traumatic brain injuries or TBI, so Can you discuss the application of methylene blue in these common conditions?
1: Yes. uh, uh, We think that in any process where increasing uh, oxygen-based energy production uh, plays a major role, uh, methylene blue will have a a role to play as a therapeutic agent. And uh, I can show you uh, sharing the screen uh, how one of the first uh, Studies that we did that was very impressive to us. Uh, we develop a, a model in the eye. The reason we use the eye in the eye, we have the retina. A retina, then in animals, it's uh, readily accessible, so that we can inject in the retina. Uh, here in this image, you see an eyeball drawn here, and then uh, we're zeroing in on on a segment of the retina here in this box. Where we see a thickness here. These are the different layers of the retina. And uh, when you provide met, uh, rotenone, which is inhibits this mitochondrial respiration, uh, subsequently there is atrophy and degeneration of the retinal layer, which is very dramatic. Uh, if methylene blue is on board, uh, we can prevent this process because the mitochondrial respiration can continue, so the tissue is not affected. This was a, a model that uh, is called uh, uh, optic neuropathy, that uh, optic neuropathy due to mitochondrial uh, defects, especially uh, complex one, is the most common form of blindness in younger people. So we did this uh, to verify uh, in vivo that this phenomenon, that we could have this neuroprotective effect. And- uh, And,
0: and rotenone is, uh, is a uh, complex one inhibitor, right?
1: Yes, it is a complex one inhibitor. So the whole process of uh, mitochondrial respiration is uh, interfered from there on. You only get, uh, uh, the, the, the only thing you get is uh, their minor component that comes through so-called complex two. Complex two, complex one, there is a misconception thinking that the electrons go from one to two to three to four. In reality, they go from one to three and from two to three. Uh, and the electron carrier there is ubiquinone, uh, coenzyme Q. Uh, and so the major component is the one that goes from uh, through complex one, it's the largest complex, the one that uh, does most of the electron transfer. And uh, NADH is the major electron donor and acts there. So there is another electron donor FADH, and that supplies through the a minor component through the second complex. And uh, so you you don't entirely uh, eliminate mitochondrial respiration by blocking complex one. Of course, if you block complex four, like in cyanide, that's why uh, you, know, you will die. Uh, you cannot use oxygen anymore.
0: But did you uh, this another... was
1: a very remarkable thing, and 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 then we did it in uh the things like uh, brains, and we found a similar phenomenon. Uh, but uh, uh, if if I look at uh, at other uh, parts, uh, let me uh, show you a brain uh, of an animal uh, here. On the left side of this image, uh, this is a section through the rat brain. And uh, where this uh, asterisk uh, is indicated is where we have an injection of, for example, this uh, rotenone that inhibits the electron transport. And uh, you can see that there is uh, degeneration that happens in the tissue. If we also inject uh, methylene blue uh, together with the rotenone, The only thing that can be seen uh, affected is where where the cannula uh, was introduced uh, to the tissue in the brain. And uh, this uh, particular part of the brain is called the striatum. Uh, The striatum is uh, part of this uh, nigrostriatal pathway that is uh, affected in uh, Parkinson's disease. And in fact, uh, complex one uh, inhibition by uh, environmental toxins is a major uh, causal component in uh, Parkinson's disease. Uh, and uh, in this uh, study, uh, we do it in the same. We can do this in the same animal one side uh, without the rotenone, the other side with the rotenone with uh, methyl blue and demonstrate the neuroprotection. We also can do it in separate animals and we did it both uh, ways. Uh, so the idea is that uh, even within the same animal, you can see an area that is protected, an area that wasn't protected. And right now, uh, you mentioned stroke. Uh, in stroke models, uh, another group that I only collaborated with them at the beginning of the studies, uh, they uh, use uh, longitudinal studies using fMRI and uh, blood flow uh, uh, MRI in, in animals. And they can uh, demonstrate. They can see the size of the lesions uh, over time, and they can demonstrate how methylene blue can be protected. In ischemic, uh, especially ischemic strokes, but they don't boast uh, ischemic hemorrhagic uh, strokes. And uh, with them, I uh, we published a study with uh, hypoxia. In other words, uh, the problem was uh, we reduced the amount of oxygen delivered to the animals, and uh, we could uh, use uh, fMRI uh, non invasively in the animals uh, to see that we were able to increase. Uh, the amount of a uh, cerebral metabolic rate for oxygen consumption in the presence of uh, methylene blue uh, under hypoxic conditions, not just under uh, normal called uh, normoxic conditions. so uh, the the phenomenon can be uh, reproduced, and in the case of uh, that you mentioned dementia, it is unfortunate that the studies that have been done by all the people. Uh, have used these larger doses for the uh, more permanent leuco derivatives of methylene blue that have less cycling capacity. And therefore, I hope that uh, people will not think that it was a failure of methylene blue there, but I think it was a failure of the researchers uh, focusing on only one aspect, the uh, anti-tao action and trying to maximize that at the expense of the real important functions that are these uh, metabolic functions.
0: These damaged tau proteins, they're they're really not the cause. They're an artifact of the the fundamental processes that's contributing to the dementia. And methylene blue would be more of an antidote to those fundamental processes than, than really trying to scavenge the tau protein. Well, uh,
1: Dr. Mercola, I hope uh, every physician in the world will think like, like you in this uh, respect. Uh, it is unfortunate that uh, uh, scientists as well as physicians that's been focusing on the end products of these uh, neurodegenerative phenomena like the beta amyloid and the tau. Uh, by the time, for example, that you see the tau inside neurons, uh those neurons are metabolically uh essentially dead uh if you reach certain levels of tau so it is too late uh, it, it, uh by acting on that uh, you cannot recover the metabolic machinery and the health of the neuron so you can pre- you can sort of pause the <laughs> the process of that neuron disappearing uh, but uh, those neurons are not uh, rescuing in any other way uh, that is functionally meaningful. And unfortunately, now that the beta amyloid, uh, I hope uh wave is going to uh, go away. <laughs> um, we're going to have an unfortunate uh, wave uh, of uh, drugs to attack uh, tau that do not seem to be a promising approach. Uh, generally speaking, just focusing on biomarkers, uh, they are not good therapeutic targets uh, because they may or may not have any causal uh, relationship or uh, with the disease, uh, maybe more consequential. Uh, and in some so, cases, even, even compensatory uh, processes.
0: There, there is another corollary that's similar to treatment of these neurodegenerative diseases that many biohackers use. And that's for improving cognitive benefits, sometimes referred to as a nootropic. So I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with methylene blue's application in that circumstance. And then the, the question I have for you is a, a dosing regimen. There are some companies that pr- promote the fact that a sublingual application under your tongue or buccal application uh, on the side of your mouth uh, would, or inside of your mouth, would be superior because it's closer to getting into the brain directly. And I wonder if you have any uh, views or comments on that. Yes, uh, the, the brief answer is no. Uh, you're thought,
1: always, that's what I thought. <laughs> uh, you're better off to get into your stomach with that acidic environment, you know, the gastric acid, uh, methylene blue there will become more bioavailable uh, to, uh, especially. Uh, in, because of its reduced uh, form being more bioavailable. Uh, that's not the case. If you take it so lingually, it will uh, not uh, reach the same uh, levels has uh, a reduced methylene blue, which is the one that can pass from the blood. You can see it in the blood uh, going faster, uh, but it will not be the, the form that will have the highest uh, bioavailability. So. The, in the case of the intravenous use of methylene blue, of course, where you can quickly have, have it in the blood, the target was different. The target that was the hemoglobin itself. We mm-hmm. were trying to displace the uh, poison uh, from occupying.
0: Yeah, trying to save their life, right?
1: Yeah, and save their life. Yeah, uh, yeah but-
0: seconds matter. Seconds matter.
1: Yeah. So in the other situation, if it's not for the you know methemoglobinemia situation you wanted to get into the blood in the best bioavailable way and that would be through uh, thank you use uh, leucomethylene blue
0: i knew you would know that now i've got another question for you on a really interesting uh, application that i just recently found out and that's cosmetic and there are a lot of emerging skincare products that use methylene blue to remove wrinkles and improve skin health and i wonder what your thoughts are on those yes
1: i'm uh, primarily not familiar uh, with this uh, uh studies uh, or applications uh in principle if you have a very limited absorption through the skin uh you could facilitate uh, this uh, same process the process of mitochondrial respiration and uh but i i have no no way of knowing whether okay. these are
0: effective okay but more more than likely if it was going to work it would be the reduced form the leuko form yes, be yes. beneficial
1: yeah, Otherwise and, and, and but do. in a way that, in a reduced form that is not permanent, is one that allows us the redox cycling.
0: Yeah, uh, and, and it to, sounds like maybe combining it with ascorbic acid is, is, the, is the winner.
1: Yes, uh, I think that's the most practical uh, and beneficial way because you get that added benefit of uh, a higher concentration of both of them uh, building up uh, in the bladder. Uh over repeated uh, administration, and that can only help uh, to uh, for, the, for a healthy uh, bladder
0: function sure now we've we've got gone through a lot of the mechanisms, some of the clinical applications, and I think it's certainly uh, appropriate to provide a warning that there are some clinical uh, parameters where this is not something you should use. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, seems like the major one would be G6PD deficiency, which is interestingly also a, a contraindication for high dose ascorbic acid treatments, because that could be deadly, <laughs> that could be deadly. Uh, so you may be coming at that, and then the use is that, that actually methylene blue, as you referenced earlier, is an antidepressant agent. It's actually an MAO inhibitor and if you're taking it with an SSRI drug, then you can develop something called serotonin syndrome, which is not good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, my comment here would be, uh, especially
1: with respect to the uh, the, the, the other warnings, I uh, fully agree uh, with respect to the warning about the uh, SSRIs, uh, the selective serotonin real inhibitors uh, in combination uh, Basically, the problem is not methylene blue, but uh, the the amount of uh, SSRIs are circulating <laughs> uh, and uh, in people. And uh, you know, clinicians uh, the, the the way this was found out that was a problem was in a specific application of methylene blue, uh, where they use it for parathyroid surgery as a stain uh, when they open up uh, uh, in the neck to um, it is difficult to differentiate uh, the fat tissue from the parathyroids, but because the parathyroids are more metabolically active, if you put the flush the area with methylene blue, the dye is going to pick up uh, more where there's more oxygen consumption. So then they can uh, clean it up, and, uh, and then they use that to remove the tissue that is actually parathyroid tissue. and. What they uh, found, the original discoveries were done, uh, and to my knowledge, never been more than these five uh, cases where they were uh, taking, uh, the patients were anesthetized and they were still uh, having SSRIs on board. And uh, they did repeated flushing in the neck, open neck, uh, with methylene blue, which exceeded these doses that we have been talking about. and uh, the way the the U.S. Uh, FDA uh, reacted to this was uh, with this warning, but uh, this has been this uh, has been revised or or uh, reviewed by uh, both uh, surgeons um, pharmacologists at uh, Mayo Clinic, and they wrote a, a rebuttal paper. Uh, where they uh indicate that, that there is no evidence to suggest that oral uh, methylene blue uh has any interaction with uh, the therapeutic dosing of uh serotonergic compounds, especially SSRIs, uh, and uh that this was something that happened under these, the these uh, specific con- conditions and uh in the case of Canada, they limit only the warning to that particular application, but our FDA went, went beyond that to hmm. any kind of uh, uh, serotonergic drug. Uh, and in, in, I think, like I say, uh, there is absolutely no evidence for oral methylene blue having interactions in this uh, low-dose range with any SSRIs. And when they talk about the MAO inhibitor function, which is the Australian uh, toxicologist who came up with this, uh, they, it really works only as MAO inhibitor at the higher concentration, the higher dose range, not the low dose range. Uh, So the effects of uh, medium blue as an antidepressant uh, only to a very limited extent, if you give uh, repeated cumulative uh, treatments, can be due to any kind of a mild uh, inhibitor uh, role, monoamine oxidase inhibition. It it is due to its metabolic enhancing function, so it antagonizes some of the depression symptoms like the fatigue and uh, the low energy uh, experience that is experienced with depression. So yes, it is an effective... Uh, it is effective to reduce symptoms of depression, and uh, unfortunately, this uh, warning is gonna make some physicians to be uh, scared of using it sure. yeah. in combination with SSRIs. But the scientific evidence uh, and my colleagues at the Mayo Clinic who have, who do the surgeries, because they uh, are the ones that are more uh, impacted by these because uh, that's the only thing that they use for identifying the parathyroid. Uh, they have continued to use it uh, even in the presence of uh, SSRIs in their uh, patients, and uh, it's never been a problem. Uh, so.
0: Well, that's good to know. Do you do you think the concern about G six PD is also maybe overcautious if you would use it at low doses? No, I, I would
1: I would uh, not uh, dismiss that concern. Okay. Uh, I, I I will use that as an exclusionary criterion. Okay,
0: good. So curious, do you use it yourself? You've been working with this molecule for a long time, and you you're well aware of its benefits and how to use it. So I'm curious. Yes. To
1: Yes, I use it myself. Uh, I, everything that i do done with uh, humans uh, in my lab, I am the first one uh, to try it. And, uh, and uh, I have uh, never experienced any side effect uh, from it, at uh, these low doses that we first demonstrated were uh, safe in these uh, animal models. And uh, so it is... Uh, and I also done it uh, with, with my family members
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, worked with some uh, networks of uh, practitioners who have uh, been using this uh, all over the world uh, with uh, benefits. And like you mentioned at the beginning of the talk, uh, uh, malaria who was the original use, uh, still prevalent in some parts of the world, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. In, in Africa now, and the quinines, uh, are no longer as effective as they used to be. So the new uh, treatments uh, are combining methylene blue with uh, uh, any of the quinines uh, because of this uh, parasite, the Plasmodium falciparum, has uh, become resistant to the other treatments. So by having methylene blue on board, and by the way, in uh, in children, that are given you know thousands of children that are uh, treated with these uh, the doses are usually between 7 and 10 milligrams per kilogram uh oh. and given for uh, 3 to 4 days however what happens to those children is that uh, their uh, gastric uh absorption is compromised because they usually have parasites uh in this african population with with malaria and uh so a lot of the uh, methylene blue uh, ends up in the parasites uh, and not being absorbed. Uh, but they had to ramp up the uh, the levels to have enough uh, circulating in the blood uh, to act on the uh, on the parasite.
0: So um, for malaria treatment, you're going higher doses, typically four milligrams, yeah. maybe even as high as seven to ten in the kids that you just mentioned. Yeah. It is. And, uh, and it's, it's, yeah, only, and, it's only for three or four days, five days, ten days. How long do you? Drink?
1: Yes. Uh, It has been done uh, like uh, in all of those uh, protocols and uh, with the purpose of uh, eliminating the the parasites. And again, uh, without having any uh, adverse effects uh, and and uh, being especially in children and uh, that has been done in uh, these preventive measures and primarily done by uh, German groups uh, using the European uh, grade pharmaceutical mm-hmm. grade, which is less pure than the USP uh, grade, actually.
0: So, What dose are you using for you and your friends? I'm assuming I bet it's under 30 milligrams a day and are you using it every day. And, and do you take breaks? Do you cycle it on and off? Yes, I, I don't use it every day. I only use it in
1: periods uh, where I need to. Uh, and I use the half milligram per kilogram dose. Uh, in, uh, in myself and uh, family members. Uh, uh, I can say my late mother uh, who had recurrent uh, uh, urinary tract infections, like most uh, elderly women, uh, I uh, was one of the first ones that I uh, put on methylene blue uh, every day and uh, she stopped having uh, this problem.
0: And what was her uh, dose, was it half a milligram? No, a in milligram?
1: her case, I uh, use uh, one milligram per uh, okay. yes uh that's and, good uh, so uh those days uh, the sixty uh, milligram uh pills were available in the u s uh so and it was called uroline it's no longer uh, available, and uh, they were used for that purpose for a urinary tract infection, so taking one of these pills uh was enough uh to prevent the uh, the urinary tract infections. Uh, for,
0: is, is uraline still made, or do they take it off the market?
1: Uh, they uh, stopped um, manufacturing it. Yes, uh, which is a sad situation because they had a very long uh, record of many years of using the product uh, without any problems. And uh, the problem with methylene blue and the regulation is that methylene blue is a grandfather drug. You know, it's being used since before there was any uh, FDA. Uh, so FDA uh, grandfathered the drugs that were available and found to be safe, generally, in terms of general consensus. So methylene blue uh, falls in that category. So it didn't have to go through the process of drugs that happened, uh, that were introduced after the FDA was uh, uh, created. Uh, so. So sometimes it's, uh, and I have to, to be honest, there have been uh, some uh, uh, movement uh, by, uh, especially because of the Alzheimer's uh, potential of Medellin Blue of companies that were developing alternative uh, intervention for Alzheimer's. Uh, this was the main motivation be, behind creating that warning. Uh, you know, trying to find something wrong. <laughs> sure, makes year perfect year. sense, yeah.
0: especially two in light of what's years. happened in the last two years. Yeah. Yes. Well, what is the yeah. dose that you advise or would recommend for Alzheimer's treatment or prevention? Is it Yes, uh, probably between, one milligram?
1: Yeah, half to one milligram uh, is uh, appropriate. Uh, okay.
0: Perfect. Wow, this has been absolutely terrific. I was so looking forward to this dialogue and you really came through and provided lots of great insights. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention that we haven't covered? No, I think
1: uh, you covered the important things about those response, uh, always low doses, and also pharmaceutical grade uh, products. Mm-hmm. And beware of anything that uh, is not clearly uh, pharmaceutical grade. And, uh, I think you should try to cooperate uh, with your physician Try to find one that is uh, receptive uh, to do this and, and base uh, your intervention on evidence and not on uh, speculations.
0: All right. Well, I can't thank you enough for all your terrific pioneering work in helping educate us about this really important mm-hmm. tool that can help us circumvent some pretty dangerous alternative interventions that conventional medicine might want to throw at us. So thanks again. Thank you,
1: bye-bye. All right.